close. Well, welcome. Well, we almost got it that time. Um, <laughs> welcome back to Sophomoros. I've got with me my cousin Kevin again, and we're going to be talking through the theology book that we've been walking through. Um, uh, Can These Bones Live? A Theology and Outline by Robert Jensen. We're going to be talking about chapter two um, today, and we're also going to be talking about episode three of Death Parade, uh, which is a an anime show that we're both kind of watching together and kind of seeing if there are any themes that we can draw across the two, uh, the two media, mediums? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, because they're both, I mean, a book and a, how do you refer to that in the plural? Anyways, um, so we're going to get into it today, but first, Kevin, how are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm tired. I'm a tired boy. This, this week has been crazy. We, um, we, as a youth ministry, um, we've decided this year to, uh, to create a silent film uh, that we will be showing at a, our Christmas party this Sunday. Wow. So all, yeah, it's big. So all of the filming is done for it, um, and at this point, most of the editing is done for it. But this week, I spent like 12 hours editing this film, um, and so I have been doing a lot of editing and um, a lot of putting the last pieces together to make sure that this party works out well. So I'm a tired boy. Um, have you have I'm you watched any of the, the great classics for inspiration, like Buster Keaton or, or any of that sort of thing? I wish I could say I had. Uh, no, no. And and when you think silent film, don't think like the guy on the piano. Not like one of those. Uh, it's more like a, it's like a dramatic silent film. And I, I play very moody guitar in the background. It's It's wonderful. Um, well, so. you know why those that piano was there originally? Why? Because they didn't have audio. <laughs> they, 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 they hadn't figured out how to do audio and video together, so they shot the video, and then they'd send a, a track to oh. the, the film house, and there'd be a person with an actual piano in the back playing music, trying to s- keep Wait, it really? somewhat in sync with... Yeah, that's... Oh, I feel and then stupid. I mean, once like, they that makes figured sense. that out, then they actually started combining the two together. But that's why they were silent films. That's crazy to think that there's some guy that like his timing will just mess up the entire movie. If you, if you, that's yeah. a lot of pressure, right? Because if you mess up a film, or if you mess up mess up a uh, like a, a musical uh, piece midway through like you can kind of regain your composure but like music fits with the theme of the so like you know let's say the charlie chaplin falls down and you you hit it late you know you hit the piano (laughs) note late now everybody's staring at you and everyone hates you and no one will ever love you again yeah well i mean you you do the first couple shows you're probably in a sweat and then you know by the the hundredth you're probably like just so ready to move on with your life oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, I, I imagine that's that's funny to think about. Just like these these guys getting the the pieces for the first time, you know, mailed in, and they're just so sweaty because it's opening night, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> this is a oh big man. one. Everyone's showing up for it. Oh yeah. man, that's scary. But okay, anyway, so we, we already got sidetracked. I love it. Oh yeah, it's, this is this is good radio. Um, we're uh, so we're developing this this. A silent film and our, our kids did a pretty good job they they kept um they kept with the script well they they improvised well they acted well um and it's one of those things where like each of the each of the little clips that i took 
at the end of it, they're all laughing hysterically, right? So you have oh, yeah. to like find the right point to cut the film so that you don't see them smirking. Um, yep. But yeah, I've got I've got so much ridiculous footage on my phone I, at this point. I my iCloud storage is running full because oh, I've got so I many bet. videos just like clogging up my my um, my storage. So, anyways, that's how I am. Um, that was a long <laughs> answer. I'm sorry. There you go. So, um, I don't know. Do we want to start with like briefing on on can these bones live, or do we want to start with yeah? Death let's let's, or death let's start. I'm gonna do it. I see. I'm gonna do it as well. For perpetually no, for the rest parade, of this. Um, but the uh, yeah, I'd say just maybe give a give a quick overview of this quick overview, which is chapter two. Yes, yes, then that's good. So, so this whole book, I think, is is basically. I think we we said last time it's a it's a series of lectures that were given that were kind of crystallized into a, a written format. Um, and so, like, think the the demographic here is like undergrad, right? So college freshmen who are taking a theology course who maybe have no interest in theology whatsoever. So this is um, this is kind of his approach. Is this very like you know he'll use big language here and there, but Jensen is not talking over anyone's head in the midst of this, which is nice. Um, when I, I'm so used to reading people that are just like like I have to spend like 30 40 minutes on a page trying to figure out what they're saying yeah. <laughs> this is like a breath of fresh air so but um the this chapter so chapter two of this book is dedicated to kind of the starting point so the last chapter that we read was the introduction and kind of the very very brief overview um like the 30,000 square foot it's not square foot 30,000 um like feet in elevation um, overview of what the book was going to be about, um, and and all the different topics. And this is kind of the start of the book, right? This is where he chooses to start. And I think that that's interesting, because where a theologian chooses to begin their theology says something about their theology, right? Mm-hmm. The, the first thing they choose to say will set up kind of the flavor for how they then go about the rest of their theology. So um, a lot of theologians in writing dogmatics um will or like a theology will begin with like a a doctrine of god or a doctrine of scripture those are usually what they start with is like either we're gonna we're gonna get down into the nitty-gritty of here's how like we know who god is right through the scriptures or we're gonna start with god himself right like we're gonna start with the trinity we're gonna start with talking about christology that kind of stuff god is you know uh you know like sovereign and like going through the attributes mm-hmm. um and oftentimes that's called like like theology proper right is is the is the the study of like god himself in himself in his being i think that it's interesting that jensen chooses to start with israel and specifically begins not at creation either so you'd think like okay he's starting with the scriptures he's 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 going with kind of a narrative approach um, he's not going to talk systematically yet he's going to kind of uh, you know break open the the, the topic by following the storyline so you'd think well okay he'd start with Genesis one but he doesn't he starts with Abraham and he starts with um, this like kind of strange revelation of God to Abraham. Um, and the call of Abraham 
and like the, the just like the the weirdness of all of this and like all the le- weird little stories that follow um and i love that like he uses this as his starting point for here's what we know about god god is somebody that that basically chooses a random person um in, out in the in the wilderness and says like i'm going to walk with you and i'm going to bless you why well who knows? See, I disagreed with that position he took. Go ahead. I think God what. very explicitly says exactly why he picked Abraham. Mm. Uh, or Abram. And it's in, of course, now that um, Bible apps decided that it's going to load the chapter with just blankness, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, it's chapter 18. Um, yeah. In Genesis. If you're in another book, you're, you're reading about a different different person with the same name <laughs> genesis 18 genesis 18 it's the, the the three chaps that show up all of a sudden um to have mm. a bit of a conversation and mm. abraham notices uh you know recognizes their divinity essentially from mm-hmm. the start mm-hmm. um okay it's around 17 i think let's see because of course i had it pulled up and then it, it left when everything went blank um there we go okay 19 yes even so genesis 18 verse 19 uh for i have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the lord by doing what is right and just so that the lord will bring about for abraham what he has promised him Mm. Mm. so that is a very i mean he is saying i picked him for this specific reason right there yeah it wasn't random here's it was intentional but here's the, a bigger question. So if that's that's pretty late in the story of Abraham already. So Genesis eighteen, he's he's uh, he's he's not, crusty. He's has pretty he had crusty. his name changed yet? Does it call him he Abraham? Has. It is Abraham. So at that he's point, had his name changed. He's 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 been circumcised, but this is him finding out the details about him actually having a kid from Sarah. Mm. Yes. So the, in Genesis eleven is where you first meet Abram. Yes. And it's actually just out of a like a, a lineage, right? So it just it's mm-hmm. genealogy, genealogy from from Shem down to Abram. And then Abram, it's it basically talks about this guy who who um who fathered Abram, Terah, right? Terah fathers Abram and Nahor and Haran and um and it says uh they basically they settle in Haran. Um, yep. And they lived there 205 years, and then you move to the next chapter, and then it says, "The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, yes. and your father's household to the to the land that I'll show you.' I think that might be what he's getting at. There is like it, it, there is almost no exposition as to why it's this dude, and not you know why not Nahor or or literally any of the other people on planet Earth, right? What what yep. makes yep. this guy special? Um, and so you know once he's already accepted the call then you can say well there's there's um you could say like a development in in the why um and and maybe you could say retrospectively that that all along this is what god had in mind i mean maybe you have to say that um due to like omniscience right but well um, even just it's it's god seeing the potential in in abram and I think it's him. It, it, the reason we're not given that God's perspective right off the bat is mm-hmm. in part to get us to come to the understanding of who Abram is as he comes to the understanding of who he is. 
Because mm. not all of these actions are, are necessarily something God wants to have happen, as we see with, uh, you know, poor, poor Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. This is one of the Pharaohs of Egypt I feel bad for, because he had no clue what was coming, and it really wasn't his fault. But boy, did he pay the punishment for it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it, so th- these, are, these are key moments in Abram and then later Abraham's life. That for is, sure. it, it's it's his discovery of who he is as a man, but it's yeah. also God shaping him into the man that God wants him to become. Mm. And so it's only once he gets to a certain point of his life where it can actually start to make sense that God starts revealing why he picked him in the first place. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and you could maybe say that there's a similar through line there with Moses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another another one of God's elect that doesn't make sense why he's chosen, right? But he's, but he's chosen. Um, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So, so maybe we do, maybe we do push back on Jensen there and say, um, there is, there is a why for, for Abraham. Um, I don't think it destroys the rest of what Jensen is trying to do. No, it's a very passing comment that he makes, but I, I thought that was an interesting take. I, you know, I still will hold that. I think, why Abram and not someone else, I think, is still a question, right? Why Abram is an easy question, like, what, like in the sense of, like, what does God have in plan for this man? But why him and not someone else, I think, is still a question that goes unanswered for us. Um, I suppose it's that chicken and the egg thing of it's, it's him because that's who God made him to be, but God made him to be because it was him... Thing right, 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 right. Really yeah. doesn't have an answer per se. The mystery of interacting with an omniscient being. Um, yes. Yeah. I well, just try good. not to think about it too hard. I, Jensen himself, I think, just generally taking an approach of um, just sort of taking the Bible's word for its itself. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean he's ignoring the um the work that's being done in in fields like archaeology but he's saying for for the purpose of what this whole discussion is of this book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that is not as helpful for us as simply looking at the bible's description of itself and and examining that of its own merits yeah say. he says that at one point um i i have it highlighted let me see if i can find it um where he basically says, oh yeah, here. So he says, of course we, uh, this is on page. Um, Who knows if we have the page? same pages. Page 15, 13, uh, Kindle's being weird. Oh, 15. Yeah, so page 15, it says, um, it says, uh, of course we may ask if there really was an Abraham and his tribe. The best we, the best we can say, I think, is that the descriptions in Genesis of their way of life and their adventures fit with what we otherwise know of the conditions and migrations in that early part of the second millennium. Personally, I'm always more inclined to trust in an ancient people's own account of themselves than what modern critical scholars may dream up as replacements for them. And that's a specific I love that line. Against enla- enlightenment it. theology, right? Like that was a... Now that doesn't necessarily mean that he's staking his entire, you know, his entire reputation or faith on on like these on this like whether or not this story is historical but i do think that that's a pushback against you could say the the modernist approach where it's like 
you know, we, we, we know what they really meant and here's what they really meant, even though we're 2,000 years or in this case, maybe 3,000, three and a half thousand years removed yeah. and yeah. half a world removed, right? Like there's the, the, the amount of hubris that goes into much critical theory is just, you know, uh, yeah. Anyhow. Um, yeah, so there was a bunch of little notes that I took in the midst of this. I think we can pause, though, and, and just say what he does in this chapter is walk through a brief history of Israel. Um, walks through, and I, I would say actually a pretty comprehensive one as far think, as, like, yeah. balance goes, right? He, he covers all the bases. Um, and he gives it this nice little, like, there's this way that Jensen talks that I, I really like, where he, and, and maybe this is just, like, I don't know, good storytelling, but he has a way of talking, um, a way of, a way of like describing the characters and making you kind of sympathize with the characters a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and also kind of pointing, like poking fun from time to time. Like he, he's not a, he's not a dull theologian to read. Um, so there's some parts that I'll read later that I think are good, but, um, from now we'll, we'll pause that. And then do you want to give kind of a, a summary of what happens in this episode of uh, death parade that we just watched right death this one was uh was interesting it it even self comments this is a slightly less over the top um episode than yes. than maybe other ones in this series uh it's it's a couple that wakes up in the bar same as the last time uh they don't mm-hmm. remember each other they don't really remember anything about their lives for the most part um, they are assigned the game of bowling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, the body parts are in the bowling balls. They feel the uh, heartbeat and body temperature of their opponent in the mm-hmm. ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, which honestly I feel like should be an option for real bowling, is you only play one frame. Hmm. That mm. makes the game so much more fast. I love yeah. that. Yes, <laughs> Pulling yes. takes forever. Um, personal. personal. <laughs> yeah. I believe that. that's, yeah. Pulling that's takes too long. This fixes it. Um, but yeah, one frame. <laughs> one frame uh, bowling and uh, whoever wins, wins. Pretty much yeah. the same thing as always. The two begin to realize over the course of the bowling through the returning of their memories that they knew each other and Mm. there's some sort of um moment of uh, like shared surprise or trauma we're not sure which it's it's held back from the audience longer than it is for any of the uh, actual people Mm -hmm. uh in their lives uh that happens right before the bus they were on got hit by some sort of semi-truck or train or something and killed them Mm-hmm. Um, in which they were having a realization about each other and their relationship. Um, mm-hmm. It turns out that the the lady in question, when she went to a different school, she was somewhat unattractive, and the the guy she'd always really liked, and she knew that there was one particular person from his life that he had been physically attracted to. So she got plastic surgery in high school because, of course, she did. To yeah. make her face look like the other person. Um, and it worked because he was attracted to her when he saw her, mm-hmm. however many years later, um, at the bowling alley. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his friends was like, oh yeah, no, that's not 
this person that you remember is this other person, the, the, the ugly one. She got this plastic surgery to make her look like the one girl. And so they both know this. Um, they both basically just don't bother with um, it being an issue in their relationship once they come to this understanding, even though they're dead. They're like, well, we do actually like each other. Yeah. So let's just, you know, we're done with the bowling. Um, you know, we're in a bar. Let's just have a great date before we're, mm-hmm. you know, dead, dead, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Which is what they do, and they have a good old time. Uh, and then they're escorted to the elevators, and it's unclear with the with the smiley, frowny faces what their orientation is. But the elevators are very strongly color coded, consistently mm. throughout the series. Um, one for one for up, and one for down. Uh, the chap goes into the up, and the lady goes into the down. And so you might think, cursory, that that kind of makes sense, because on you could make an argument that he was being very nice to a stalker. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It is kind of stalkery to have fa- facial surgery to make you look like the person that the person's attracted to, to get them to fall yes. for you. Yes. Um, but it yeah, did seem genuine yeah. that he liked her. Um, even mm-hmm. with that, but you know, you could say, okay, that's fair because he's being a stand-up guy. Um, but I, yeah. I also think there, there's an element of, yeah, what she did was kind of stalkery, but she didn't do it in a like she didn't follow him around or anything. She no. just, she was, she knew that no matter how much she tried, even if he liked her as a person, he wasn't going to like her in in a way that made for romance. Yeah. And so she did a slightly more extreme version of what many people do with clothing or dieting or whatnot mm-hmm. to attract a mate, mm-hmm. um, or at least the mate that they, they think they want. Um, yeah, whereas, well, yeah. well, I don't know if plastic surgery quite, quite goes into that category. Oh, I mean, a lot of people do plastic purpose. surgery. Yeah, so it's not, yeah. it, it, hers was with a very, very specific individual in mind, but fundamentally, yeah. a lot of people get plastic surgery and do all kinds of things to try to get a mate. That's true. Um, and that's that's what she did. And you could also argue that since she was in high school, she was at a young enough age that really parental guidance maybe should have been engaged in a way that it wasn't. It's not. You could say this yes. isn't fully <laughs> teenage yeah. hormones being what it is. You can't fully blame her for, for taking that action, not having some sort of societal correction for it. Right. Um, and... She, once again, she wasn't creepy or, or mean or weird about it, and she didn't go out and actually stalk him. She continued mm-hmm. to live her life normally. Uh, mm-hmm. And then what she had hoped happened, happened. He genuinely saw her and was like, oh, yeah, she's awesome. You know, I'm yeah. into her now. And so you could make the argument that actually she's the one that should go up because it took her getting plastic surgery for this guy to actually pay her proper attention. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it, it's it's clear that they actually did genuinely get along. So isn't that maybe on him for not recognizing what was in front of him the whole time just because of the the exterior mm. looks? Yeah. Um, and I will so, say, yeah. having watched the episode while I was watching it, they they do a good job of keeping the suspense, right, throughout the, the episode because these little bits of memory are coming back and she says like, oh, I am... You know, I remember my name, and my name is, like, I'm this girl. And then, yeah. like, later, she kind of stops for a second and goes, hold on a minute. No, that's the girl that I, you know, tried to copy my face after. That's yeah. not actually who I am. And she's like, actually, my name is this. And so, like, and 
like the, you know they they show little flashbacks of of the two being shocked by different things and and like yep. I'm thinking the whole time I'm like does he does is you know is there some sort of like murder or something that happened or like what yeah. what well, especially with thing. what happened beforehand, you're expecting some horrible totally. murder or something. Totally. And then it actually ends up just being this, like, this kind of, like, uh, socially awkward case of unrequited love. And that's, yeah. you know. Um, and so it's it's nice the way that it the episode ends is that the guy, the arbiter, the guy that's standing and, and watching and, you know, the bartender, you could say, um, he he allows them to kind of have a last and first date together yes. in in the in the facilities so they're walking around and they're you know they have a drink at the bar and they talk with each other and they you know and and I think that's like a nice I don't know it's a nice close to this very odd story but it does it, it sounds is. it it's a very soap opera-ish story, right? Like, she she got the other person's face put onto her face. And woo, yes. You know, like, like this, I mean, when does that actually happen, right? But It doesn't, but yeah. It's it a, works when you're two-dimensional. Two yes, yes. And, and it's a thought experiment, right? Like, I, I think is. they're they're posing a question. I think, so like, if you were to try to put the question out of what they're like what the authors or the creators are trying to ask through this, right? What they're kind of begging the question of, like, wh- how would you how would you summarize it? I'll give you mine, and then you, uh, or okay, yeah, go for and it. Then you give me yours. I think that what they're trying to ask is something to do. Like you, I think you started to hit on it. I think it it's kind of the question of like, what are the ethics of of like attraction and how attraction works. Um, and like, can somebody be faulted for not being attracted to somebody else? Um, can they, like, sh- uh, should somebody be, you know, so is it is it ethically okay to be so infatuated with somebody that you go to such extremes as getting the your you know facial surgery right or something along those lines? Like, I think that's the kind of question they're asking, yeah. or something along those lines. But what do you think? I, I think that's I think that's right, and what I like about this show is because of how they present it. Even though I don't necessarily think they're going for it, it does also pose the opposite question: of um, is it is it okay to not engage with someone because you aren't physically attracted to them, even if you're attracted to them in other right. ways? You know, where where does the is in essence where does physical attraction? Um, as a means of, uh, you know, desirability for a couple, where's the line for that uh, mm-hmm. from a moral perspective? That's what they're yes. looking at. Yes. Um, and perhaps because of the poor angles of the faces that where we don't get to fully see for sure if they go up or down, mm-hmm. um, there is also then an acknowledgement of uh, an unclarity from the the writers of the show as mm. to what the answer to those questions is mm. Mm. um I, I think maybe that's a reflection of where society is right now i'm not sure we have a, a definitive answer of the role of attractiveness when it comes to to mating mm-hmm. um from a moral perspective yeah um i'd, I'd be fascinated to hear if you think there's a, a biblical answer to this or not hmm It's yeah. Um, I think <laughs> that's that's hard. 
It so is, because I can think of examples in either direction there. Yeah, I would say this. I think I think there are things that we can see were culturally normative at the time that the scriptures were written that I don't necessarily think mean that, that sh- that's the ethic that we should approach uh, for now. But I think that the entire idea of like selective partnership um, in the way that it's commonly practiced nowadays with relationships, I think it is very far from, I mean, like it's, well, it's it's not what I think. It's, I mean, it's just true. It's very far from the systems of approach for, for, you know, that kind of um, relationship uh, in, even in, even today in like different parts of the world, right? Um, Like arranged marriage was, was kind of the norm. And so, like, th- if you take if you take that to be the, um, let's say to take that to be the the biblical norm, and what I mean by biblical is like having to do with the biblical story, not the the ethical norm, right? But right, right. If you if you read that into the scriptures and say like, okay, every time they talk about marriage, they're talking about an arranged marriage. Right. I think it makes sense of a lot of things that don't make sense to us now. Yes, right. that's true. There's there's a a uh, a mental separation that has occurred, which makes it difficult for people to even comprehend the mindset yes. of yeah. a lot of decisions people made back then. So I, I think that there's there's obviously pros and cons to the modern approach to like the selected marriage of like I choose this person, and there's I, I think uh, the the pro of it is that the the people that end up getting married do genuinely want to be with each other and and not just be in a form of relationship like that but but specifically with each other and so i think it it adds to the likelihood of of these things remaining for a longer period of time because it sounds it sounds like the way that uh that jewish culture worked um, you know, with the with the Mosaic Law and how how one could go about with divorce, people were divorcing their wives constantly. Like it was it was just like this like it was a ridiculous overuse of the of the exemptions, right? Um, and that's why Jesus has to say like you know what God has joined together, let no man separate, is because there was just this complete abuse. Um, so I think that like even the divorce rate now in America might not it might not have been more than what these people were dealing with. I have no stats for that, so I you know I don't know. But like, I doubt um, they kept those stats back then. No, I don't think so. But but I think that um, the the con of selective marriage is that it adds this aspect of pressure to. Uh, adolescent life and up through you know maybe 30 to sometimes 40 years old where people have this like almost this like spirit quest that they go on to try to find a soulmate um and for those who have a harder time with decision making i think it can be like a paralyzing reality like this and so i think you know the other thing that's um that's you know kind of a question mark over all of this is if i choose to love somebody that way from the get-go is not that love based on selfishness right isn't Mm. it based around my you know Mm -hmm. attraction and whether or not i'm being pleased by the other person right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and i think that's a 
that's a real question that we need to grapple with um, because like it's our our modern day marriages are oftentimes built on a foundation of eros before they're built on a foundation of agape right that they're built yes. on a on a consuming love before they're built on a um on a uh like a, an unconditional or or giving love yep um, yep and i think that that can be damaging so yeah what do you think though i think i think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head with all of that um yeah and it's yeah i don't i don't have anything else to add i think you nailed it so here's here's a through line then. The the conclusion of this is that there isn't a conclusion yet, I suppose. Yeah, no. I I don't think it would be wise for us to say one way or another what's what's right or wrong. I think that would be a a bond, like a a binding that's not entirely helpful or yeah. or pastoral, right? But I think that one thing to, that we need to watch for, especially as Americans who, who deal with this kind of stuff all the time anyways, like the, the indulgence culture, um, we need to watch for, like I think we have become so self-determined in our culture that I think that self-determination feels like real, like right to us. Well, like it mm. feels ethical self-determination is what's right um yes whereas the scriptures do not say that they they say self-determination is the first key to being able to like being able to control your your life and the freedoms that you have around you is is great it's good but it is it is only good if it is used towards the end of then enslaving yourself and submitting yourself to to the the will of god and I think that yep. that's where we we mess up is we we have a aberrant we have a we have a distorted view of what's good, and so when we we have these um, impulses towards what we think is good, and we have the freedom to grab at them ourselves, right? To choose our own partner, to choose the way that we live our life, to choose our own food. I mean, like food might be the easiest way to see this, right? Like the amount of yeah. unhealth in American dieting is just like ridiculous because we just choose what's good but it's not actually good because it's it um we we have a distorted understanding of what's good and, and we need to submit our understanding to a higher understanding of what's good so anyhow that that's that's like one thing that we need to be really cognizant of and i see yeah. this a lot in the questions surrounding um like homosexuality in the church is a big one now um I think that if if we were to dethrone sexual urges as the as the like impulse towards marriage, right? Like as mm -hmm. the motivation mm -hmm. for marriage, um, and we were to center uh, marriage around uh, a desire to see the good of the other, right? Like yep. the, the good of 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 my neighbor in a very up close and personal way, and to reenact the kind of self giving love that Christ had for the church yep then i think that we would be able to say to somebody who um is saying oh, well i'm attracted to this kind of person your attractions should not govern you in that sense right yeah your attractions yeah. should not root you but the problem is that we're hypocrites because we say you know sexuality you know is not all you are but then we we talk up marriage as like the one place to like yeah. basically yeah. Sur like it it it's 
focused on, it's concentrated on, you know, my attractions and my urges and, and getting, you yeah. know, like satisfaction for me, right? Which is yep. completely like solipsis. It's just, it's bad. It's a narcissistic approach to marriage. And so it's bad both in the homosexuality like world and in the heterosexuality world. There's yeah. neither of them are justified. The problem is that we, it's, it's harder to see the intentions as wrong than to see the actions as wrong. So we, we clamp down hard on homosexuality, but we don't mm. clamp down hard on the root problem, which is yeah. in both of them, right? Yep. Um, so anyways, that's... It, that's it, a uh, there's, a, there's an old sci-fi movie I, um, called The Forbidden Planet, 1956. Isn't that so C.S. Lewis? Uh, he also had a series. It, it, it totally unrelated to each other oh okay all right there's there's no way that these are related to each other okay um but it is about the um the destructive nature of the id so to speak Mm, um mm. and you know people have had 70 years to watch this movie so hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler um Mm. the um it's the 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 principal person that this is about his um, mind has synced up to a computer of this planet, mm. um, and he doesn't realize it. He's been spending all of his time trying to figure out why the civilization that existed on the planet, which was extremely advanced, uh, went mm-hmm. extinct in a single night. Like, how does that happen? Wow. Uh, and he discovers when a ship lands and a monster starts attacking the ship. It's the first, first ship that's landed on the planet since he crashed there with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he realizes at, as the movie progresses that the monster is actually him. It's his id embodied by the computer of the planet that oh, synced up to his mind. That's what caused the civilization to go extinct in a single night. The computer acted out the will of the the id of every individual on that planet simultaneously, which resulted in everyone being killed by everyone else. And wow. So, yeah, and so oh, he, he, the movie ends with him essentially tackling his own subconscious, as it were, wrestling with Ooh, the secret desires of, of his, his heart that is unconstrained by this machine. Yeah, it's it. And a, that's, I mean, that's really the human problem in a nutshell, right? Like and that's, uh, even more so the American one in a lot of ways, I would oh argue. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, wow, that's really good. So... So then, then I think, you know, to try to tie the two of these together, God falls in love with this man, Israel, or, you know, this man, Abram, and, mm-hmm. and his mm-hmm. posterity. And, you know, you could say it is, it is Abram's righteousness, his faithfulness that, that God falls in love with. But you see some parts of the story where Abram's not so faithful. And holy heck do you see the unfaithfulness of his posterity. So his yeah. children are not, you know, are not prime citizens, right? They're not, they're not <laughs> covenant partners um, that are, you know, above reproach. So I think, you know, perhaps this is to anthropomorphize the question too much, and, and I don't want to just do a, a theology where I'm studying what I would do if I was God, because I'm not God. But I do think it's a it's an interesting question of, you know, does does God's love have a form of eros to it? 
or is it pure agape, right? And again, these are these are categories that theologians have debunked, right? This kind of, but but they're just Greek as far as like the, the their relation to the Greek words, but like, um, or biblical scholars have, but but I think they're helpful to kind of get an idea, right? So the eros love is the yeah. is the consuming love. It's the love that um, I think, as C.S. Lewis puts, it's like the love that that is that de- desires to like to look into the other right and to just like mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to almost um like get lost in them right that kind of uh romantic love eros comes from that erotic right erotic love um and then there's agape which is the you know the one that most christians will have heard of before but it's the it's the word for a more uh let's say committed form of love regardless of right. what happens i'm here you know, so what do you think? Is there a, is there any trace of erotic love in God? And again, not necessarily sexual, but like specifically the consuming form of love. I I, I think most likely so. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah come to mind in a hmm. way, hmm. Um, and as a as a fiery consuming very very painful for the people involved love hmm. I, I don't think god acts purely out of hatred i think i think him being a multifaceted complex being he has more than one emotion when he does any given act hmm. and so people that have rejected him uh, i think there is an element of love in the the consequences that he enacts on them I don't, yeah. I don't think it's fully out of, um, I don't think it's fully self-motivated. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I think there is a passion involved in it, so to speak. But it's more yes. of an impression that I have than, than something I have a concrete systematic theology to back. Sure. And I think, I, yeah, whether or not that is a Hebrew, um, let's say eisegesis, uh, like a form of reading onto God's personhood, um, a passion that's felt deeply within humanity, or whether that, because Hebrew is a very passionate language and Mm -hmm. and culture Mm -hmm. and very gut-driven and idiomatic. Um, But whether it's that or it is, it is like, it really is the essence of God and, and God, or it's, it's something to do with God, right? Whether passion has some binding on God um, it is definitely the case that as you read, especially the Old Testament, especially mm-hmm. the Old Testament, you see this continual passion at the heart of God. And that's not to say a quick-temperedness, um, because he is very long-tempered, right? Like, he he, he allows this, the city to go unarrested for yeah. a long time, right? Same with, with Israel. He, he sends centuries worth of prophets to them and there's mm-hmm. and there's no change um but there is like there is definitely the sense that you get some sort of a passion in god um yeah. so then i'll change the i'll i'm gonna i'm gonna tweak the question okay. to reflect maybe a, a bit of a more difficult um one is there any selfishness in god's love God is a unique case because of his being 
such a powerful being. Mm-hmm. I I would say selfishness implies a a self absorption that is excluding everyone else around you. Mm. It is a it is a fully self embraced thing, and whereas I think that God has a certain self orientation that is is constructive in a way it wouldn't be for a human being because he is the the pinnacle of everything so to speak and we mm. are not mm. yeah um i do think that there is a a nature to god as is demonstrated especially in many ways in the old testament there's an aspect to god which is non self oriented in in decision making mm-hmm. um hence are even existing i i think one could argue yes 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 and so I, i'm not sure the word fully works in the context of god mm-hmm. once again because of there being more more to him a, a multifacetedness to his decisions and to the way that he thinks that's even beyond the way we can comprehend um yes. i think there is a a self-orientedness aspect of God because of him being the pinnacle. I think there is a selflessness orientation to God because of his nature as well. I think both of those exist simultaneously. Yes. And I, okay, um, that's decisions are therefore yeah. made with both aspects in mind. And the, the amazing thing about God, because his nature is one that we see with Christ of being a servant to his own creation. Mm-hmm. Um, a a self-decision is also by its nature of his nature being non-self-oriented, a selfless one. Mm-hmm. And once again, that doesn't work for anyone else other than God. But yeah. it does work for God. Hmm. Hmm. His nature yeah. being a selfless one means a selfish act is a selfless act. That is not a human achievable thing. Right. Um, but it is a God-natured thing. Yeah, you almost think of, like, I'm thinking about it, I have a picture in my head of, like, a human selfishness is, you could say, it's direct selfishness. In yes. the sense that it is me for myself. And in God's sense, it's like an indirect selfishness. Or a self, a, a indirect self-centeredness. Because it is willing the good of of the other, right? So that's the Thomas Aquinas mm-hmm. approach to love, which I think is, you know, it's good enough. Let's just use it for now. Um, you know, it is the, it's willing the good of the other and recognizing that that good is myself, right? It, it you know, mm-hmm. especially given the fact that he is the author of creation, um, he 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 alone truly knows what is good. For creation yes, and yes. made us for himself right so yep so it's the it's there's a recursive aspect to it because it, it goes out to the neighbor and pulls the neighbor towards the self but it's so it's it's indirectly selfish but it is directly selfless right it is it is motivated by selflessness um yeah i mean I, maybe the the easier way to put it is God's um, selfishness created us. Yes. So that he could live in union, so that we could live in union with him. Yes. Right. God God created beings 
um, people to exist in in unity and be, have genuine joy and enjoyment of spending time with him, which uh, is the epitome of selflessness, and because, yet was done also for self. In in, in, in right, I, I'm it, which feels almost like a jump to me because I, I like I said I don't feel like self selfishness works really as a term for God because no. of the the nature of him being the generosity of of his existence as it were it, yeah. it just isn't really compatible mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that in that sense if that if yeah. right because I, selfishness I, I, yeah. in our context always is in competition with selflessness and yes there is no competition in god so yes they they uh, what is selfless is for this for himself and what is for himself is for us, right? It is there. There is no division. There's no competition. Yeah. Both can exist in fullness in God, um, because of the limitless qualities, um, and because, uh, and because really nothing can be taken from him. Um, yeah, the, and that's the thing is is uh, frequently we are able to use human language and and thoughts to come to an understanding in some limited way of God, um, mm-hmm. because he is we we are his creation and he is desiring to be approachable for us mm-hmm. to be able to approach him. That, that's yeah. why yeah. Jesus came to a certain extent so that we can actually be in union with him mm-hmm. to that requires a certain imitation on our part and it's sort of therefore a certain comprehensibility of who he is for us. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, um, there are times where we have language, which is essentially uniquely human mm-hmm. because of our fallen nature. And I think maybe we've hit on one of those moments with, with selfishness yeah. where it's, it's almost more a, a term for us to describe sins that we have than it is something that's useful for, understanding god right yeah so i think then the the question of the parallelism right because i i do i i maybe maybe and maybe a more grounded parallelism is that it's not um so vaguely god with all things that exist that we need to compare our our forms of love to but rather specifically and i think especially in the marital context christ and the church um which is a more, let's say, a more embodied approach to love, less abstract, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. less conceptual, right? Um, so, whether th- this is a question that's that's plagued me before, and I, I don't really know what to do with, I don't know what the answer would be, but, um, like, I I wonder whether Christ loves the church because she is unlovable or unattractive or because he or or whether he loves the church because she is attractive to him hmm. i think that's a and i'm again like it's human language but like is it does he see something intrinsically valuable in the church that he himself wants to unite himself with or is it truly and i'm i veer towards this is it truly and completely that he that he gives of himself and values of himself this other like without um 
with uh, I'm going to take it back to Israel, I think, with this. The the person in this case, not the nation. Without gaining um, anything, that's what I was going for. There you go. Yeah. Um, I think Israel gets the name from when he wrestles, right? Mm-hmm. He has that wrestling match. Mm-hmm. And he gets the name Israel as a result. And do you remember what it means? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, he gets uh, he who contends with God. Yeah, or wrestles with God. Yeah, yeah. In that he literally did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the it, that's important because it's not he who rejected God. It wrestles with. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, you're not going to obey mindlessly, and you're not going to reject mindlessly. You are going to wrestle, and not oftentimes, you'll probably lose a fair bit with it, but you are going to actually um, engage with God in a, a, shall we say, a competitive and at times uh, aggressive manner. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and there is a struggle inherent with that, right? Mm-hmm. And the church, we're, we're probably skipping ahead a few chapters in, in the book we're reading, but the church is, I think you could argue, a continuation of the spirit of that Israel, that mm-hmm. wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I don't know if if attraction is the right term for it but whatever that is god seems to to desire in us for us to obey him in the context of uh, a will that we have of our own that mm-hmm. is wrestling with his will and yet in the end is still worshiping him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that is that seems to be what god's going for that's why i think he picked Israel, the people, and Israel, the name to describe them, hmm. and why he partnered with them, is that is that is his representation to us, to a certain extent, of what a Christian mindset, not necessarily lifestyle, but mindset is in the context of God. Yeah. It's why we do theology. It's not to just mindlessly obey. Um, it is to wrestle with the nature of who God is. Yeah. And I, I draw, I do, I do hold to some things um, that come from a very, like, early approach to theology. Um, and, and uh, you know, and, and reek of a more, like, rigidly dogmatic approach to theology, like divine simplicity. I don't think that God has, uh, I don't think that God has competing wills or competing attributes within himself that are, like, trying to get the spotlight. I think God is one like completely and solely one and his attributes are all you could say manifestations of the one will um Mm -hmm. in in different scenarios um and so in that sense i think the the difference between us and god is that our will is so divided and divorced and Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um and split in so many directions that when we when we attempt to love as god loves we can't we can't imagine it. We can't imagine having only one will. Um, and it seems to me that the one will of God is to be in union with his creation. Like, mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. to me that that is, I mean, maybe there's more to be said there, but it seems that that, like, the 
the the u- unified or the the singular mission of God from all eternity, right? Because it talks about mm-hmm. like before you know before the world was created, um, before the the earth was established, we were predestined in the Son to for inherit you know this inheritance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I think it's not that it's like God is. I don't. I don't think God ever has like a plan B. I don't think God ever has like a, you know, uh, well, I'll settle for this. I think He has one vision and one mindset yeah. and one will. And I think maybe that's part of our problem is that we're so divided in that like when we try to talk about loving as God loves, we can't even conceptualize what that would be like because we yeah. haven't been completed yet, right? We haven't been made yeah. to love our Creator. Um, in the way that he loves us. Yeah. But I've owned beauty, credit a, Oh yeah, go ahead. But the beauty is that in the end I think that's what we're promised. We will know in mm-hmm. full and I think that's the that that is the eternity that's set before us is is to love from the basis of full and complete union with the son and and to love the father from that vantage point is yeah. an undying and singular love. Yeah. And to land the plane, maybe this is where it does tie in with Jensen's description of Abraham as being this, like, we don't know why he was chosen this, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's part of what we're touching on is we we don't know why God really wants us to be in union with him. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, we, we we it seems pretty clear he does. We don't know why. Yeah, uh, you know, especially when we look at the fallenness of our own nature, we really don't know why. <laughs> right, right. But uh, and we don't know why he he wanted to create all of this and us, um, uh, and why he wants to exist within the context of it. But he seems to have done that in the form of Jesus, and it was something he desired to do. And that's the that is the question to a certain extent, and it's not necessarily one that that has an easy answer. I like to think of that as the the start of heaven, hmm. you know, because heaven is is not going to be boring. I don't think. No. Um, and there's going humans have this innate desire to to seek out and understand and and pursue and explore, mm-hmm. and so that's I think the beginning of heaven, as it were, is the, the that eternal pursuit of God and attempt to answer that that question mm. we have in mm. a way that we can't do now fully in this fallen form on this fallen earth, but we will be able to do in heaven for an eternity, yeah. which is kind of exciting. It's this never-ending mission of exploration and understanding of an infinite mm. being, yes. um, which is amazing. And something yes. I'm really rather looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and beyond even the knowing, and I think that the knowing is is essential for humanity because we are we are composite. Our knowing does not necessarily translate to our loving or our submitting mm-hmm. to or our you know actions. We we have a more let's say um, broken down and complex way of interacting with the world. And that's not actually a merit, right, for us. It's not like, yeah. oh, you know, we're so complex. No, it's like that's actually <laughs> what ruins us a lot of the time is we're so divided from ourselves. Um, but I think we will not only know, but we will we will know we will finally be free to love God. 
mm-hmm. as we were intended to do from the beginning. And yep. I think that is, you know, the, 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 um, I've told kids before, like, if you think that getting to heaven, right, and I, I, I'm trying to get that, rid of that language too, because like, you know, I, I, I'm pretty firmly convinced that it's a, a new, new creation that we're stepping foot into, um, and not just, you know, like heaven, like we're not just going to float around with harps, but, but I think, um, I've told kids before, like, if what you're looking forward to is just, like, a place where all your wildest desires are met, if you're looking for a place where, like, you'll get all the donuts that you want or whatever, <laughs> then you don't understand heaven because what what it, the eternity that we look forward to is an eternity of being obedient to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, yeah. and so if you think, like, oh, uh, I'm going to be obedient here and that will earn me my ticket into mm. a place where mm-hmm. I don't have to, like, stress so much. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it's true that it will be a rest, right? Like, the obedience will be rest, but it will be obedience. Yeah. Right? It's not it, our, our what, we're, what's, what will pause in eternity is our own self-will that's, that's you know, constantly pushing back against Christ and, and you know, seeking good in other places, right? So mm-hmm. it, what we really are losing, as Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? It's, it's yeah. coming yeah. to... Um, coming to a, 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 a let's say a, a center of life that stems only out of obedience to Jesus mm-hmm. and, yeah. and unification with him so man there's so much more in this chapter that I wanted to talk about but it's yeah it, we're at an hour which I knew this would happen I knew this would happen so maybe we can talk about more stuff later I don't know maybe I'll release my own little podcast reflecting on some other stuff. Like well, his and I descri- think... description of the talkative God. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> I think I think a lot of this will also tie in with itself as we keep going, which will be good. Yes. Yeah, that's my hope. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sophomoros um, and this, this discussion with me and Kevin. Um, we'll be back to do another one and probably next month, yeah? Yeah, and, uh, and homework this time, it's uh, episode four and chapter three. We're going we're gonna to do some double episodes, just not quite yet. So chapter uh, three yes. and episode four. Yes, and I can't wait for next episode to finally make a comment about episode four that I've been meaning to make for so long. <laughs> um, but uh, so thanks so much for listening to this episode. Um, thank you, Kevin, for talking with me. I always enjoy our conversations. Um, if you would like to reach out to us, uh, shoot us a topic, a question, uh, you know, comment, any of that kind of stuff, um, you can reach us at sophomorosofficial at gmail.com. That's S-O-P-H-O-M-O-R-O-S-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L uh, at gmail.com. And uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And until then, may Christ be exalted. <laughs>